This is the Working Director Podcast, a show that helps you go from emerging filmmaker to working director. As a filmmaker living in Los Angeles, I've directed over 130 projects, including six distributed feature films, all while helping filmmakers figure out how to level up in their careers. I do this show with one goal in mind, to help you become a working director. And if you want to join us for the live Q&A sessions and ask all of your questions, make sure you join our free private Facebook group by going to theworkingdirector.pro. I want to start with Evan, just because he mentioned something in the, in the pre-chat about his company and what they specialize with AI. So can you tell us about that and what exactly procedural AI is? Sure. Hi, I'm Evan Pessis. I'm the uh, co-founder and head of studio at Wild Capture. So we're a digital human technology studio. And what we do is we bring volumetric video, which is scanned and video of, of, of actors and bring them into VFX gaming and, and immersive technology. But we use AI in a different way. So there's two types of AI. There's generative AI and there's procedural AI. We use procedural AI for optimization, uh, for pose estimation, and, and essentially to create much better, more lifelike versions of actual real human scan people. And so what we're using AI for is, is, is to essentially create more lifelike humans that are better than animated characters. And what we're doing is we're focusing on ethical AI. So we're licensing actual commercial licensed AI sets from trusted partners. That's not just scraping art from the internet. That I think that's an important discussion that we want to get into as well, especially with our producers like Mark and Jason, and um, to make sure that when you're using AI that it's legit, that you're paying the people whose likenesses are being used because someone's likeness is being used along the way. Um, and we'll also kind of hopefully this discussion helps anybody understand why WGA and SAG are not signing an agreement that doesn't have AI protections in. It's not like a whiny baby thing. Like this is important stuff to protect us now because as you know, AI is moving fast. Um, Mark, how are you using AI? Well, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, we, I have an agency called Sageworks that focuses on content and experiential for brands. So uh, being a producer of advertising for the last 20 years, thinking about emerging tech and emerging media in a way that would enhance that process for the last 10 years at least um, has been top of mind for me. I'm only happy now that the conversation is broad enough that we can talk about these tools uh, in a way that more people will now understand, which is terrific, especially as you said, it's going so quickly. So my agency, we work with uh, brands to, again, accelerate, meet budgets, meet accelerated timelines, meet diminished budgets. Um, the truth is digital, everyone by now has produced, shot, cut, even edited something themselves. So they do think that it doesn't require a lot of effort and experience. Um, we work with people of all levels, high and low. And often, which I'm excited to share today a little bit, if, if the conversation goes in that direction, um, we're enabling creators to do the work themselves. So not necessarily to be dependent on an agency to define this stuff. That's the best part about all of this is that it's accessible, not just available, but a lot of this, if it's not, you know, code on GitHub that you've got to create an instance and you need to understand code, that's one thing. But there's a lot of tools that you can start today and just put, create a profile, maybe even free. Most of them are, a lot of them are free um, and create some amazing stuff on yourself without knowing anything about code, without being a prompt engineer or whatever you might read about. It's very unintimidating actually. Um, because of the power of the AI, it's simplifying a lot of the hard stuff that it's doing for us to just hit buttons and, you know, or, or textually prompt something. So 
Yeah. That's why I feel like it's so important for indie filmmakers to be on top of this tech because it it's really going to change the game for them. Jason is an independent filmmaker. He has um, been recently playing with anything and everything that comes out. Um, Jay, what are your what are you finding about the AI as far as like where we currently are and where the level of it needs to go still for independent filmmakers? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I work with AI in the editing process, actually editing, but I use it to help me speed up the uh, editing workflow, but I also use it for the uh, visual uh, aspects of it as well. And yeah, I've been working with AI probably since last summer and I've seen a growth in, in it. Like it, it, it's like almost every month there's a new release that is just pushing it. Um, I remember doing some, uh, you know, mid journey artwork about a year ago and, um, you know, when you prompt it for something, it doesn't always give you what you want. It doesn't always look exactly like a, like a real photo or whatever, but that was like a year ago. Now, I mean, as I've been working with you, Jen, on promoting our film that we're working on, I've been able to create some very realistic uh, characters that actually look like the actors that, that, um, that we chose. For instance, now I was able to take, uh, you know, we, we, we had headshots of the actors in costumes, bring that into AI and tell Midjourney using our actors, the, our characters, can you create and then explain what you need? And I'm, I find I'm using it a lot now for uh, pitch decks to promote, like this is the idea of the film. I don't think it's necessarily at the level where you can create a film that looks like a Pixar movie right now, but it's gonna happen. But you can definitely use it to pitch your ideas for a pitch for a Pixar movie that you wouldn't be able to do a little while ago. And when you're using, so your company, you said you're actually creating skins and stuff. So are you bringing in actors? How is that working? Because I know you guys do it ethically, legally, all that stuff. Yeah. So essentially, what we do is so there's volumetric capture stages. There's several different uh, companies, uh, hundreds of them around the world. Um, you bring them into a, a stage like Microsoft or 40 Views or something like that, um, and you bring them in, we capture them. And for us, we, we we kind of focus on two kind of, well, three main verticals, really, which is like digital crowd creation, stunts, and digital fashion. So um, for digital fashion, we just finished the uh, digital fashion kind of preview um, for product we're coming out called Outfit. Essentially, we have this tool that you take volumetric video it turns it into a traditional 3d animation asset and so the video that i have from you is that what what you're yeah talking about? yeah so this right here is this this actor was captured and she's a model captured in, in a 40 view stage at cmii in atlanta um we captured her in her undergarment and all that clothing is completely cg and so what we're able to do and all the interaction on the water you can see that's all cg water so what we're able to do is create a unified boundary around a real video capture of a person and be able to apply CG simulated objects to her as well as allow her to interact with the environment around her. So now we're taking real live people because we're a very people-centric company. So we're, we're all about taking real actors and capturing their true likeness and then using all these amazing tools to bring it into traditional simulation VFX engine. So essentially you can work, take any data 
from any volumetric video data, run it through our pipeline, and it can go to any visual effects. So we're sort of like agnostic. Inputs and outputs are completely agnostic. And the tools that we leverage and deals a lot with AI is all about getting rid of, you know, thousands of hours of mocap cleanup and all these like non-creative tasks. So we sort of believe that AI can get rid of thousands of hours of repetitive tasks and allow that time to be put back towards creative. So we see AI as a tool for more creativity, not to replace human creativity. Mark, you're nodding a lot of that. Do you want to add on to that? Yeah, I just love what you just said. I mean, it's it's not a replacement. It's uh, it's definitely an augmentation and in and a, a, a time saving aspect of it too. I, and and as Evan was just you know just describing, I mean that's that's a very um, high end level application of AI and what and you could see the results. They're stunning. I mean, Evan's fantastic. That's the best motion that I've seen on clothing. Um, uh, you know, on and all fabricated with the AI, so or generated, I should say. Um, that's really terrific, and it's rare that we would utilize tools of that caliber in advertising, commercial, short form, small budget. You know, um, but it needs to be at that level for a film experience and something that's you know a longer arc, and you've got characters that are very immersive in a story in a a space that's very immersive. So. And that's what's been sort of missing for a while, um, meaning like the getting to photorealism, you know, and getting to uh, accurate motion. And then, wow, the responsiveness of the cloth and all that being CG is just remarkable. Um, it, as we get even closer to real time, too, that's even more exciting because then we can, you know, modify things that we're watching in real time, like a live broadcast and applying those. And maybe you, you have some of that. Uh, happening now, Evan. I don't I don't know. We we do. We we're our whole ethos is that we start at the top because you'll never get to you'll never kind of, you know, if you start at the top, you'll get to somewhere where real time can happen. But if you start at the bottom, you're always sort of making excuses for why it's not it's not there yet. And I think with technology, every time we do something, we learn so much. And we are essentially trying to be that, you know, we're building a a software-enabled service platform. So we're hoping that artists can just take, you know, assets. They can either purchase assets, they can whatever they can do. They can do it on their own. We're not about like only high end. We're really trying to democratize this, but just really kind of be a platform for folks to be able to to even be able to like, you know, be able to license their own likeness. Cause I think that's really the future that we're getting at is 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 really about asset management, asset management tracking and licensing and being able to license your own data to an AI, you know, library or something of the sorts. And, you know, if I could jump back in, sorry, that, that was the reason I think you mentioned SAG-AFTRA, the WGA. I mean, that's, that's, that hits right at the core. That's why this is so timely, so prescient, you know, it's, it's, we won't be able to get that back. You know, I was listening to a story in NPR yesterday about some background extras or background actors and how they were already being asked prior to the strike to, you know, while you're sitting around waiting for your scene to happen and you're in costume, go into this trailer and let us scan you head to toe, photogrammetry, you know, in real time, all all angles. Can you smile? Can you laugh? Can you cry? Um, we're, you know, raise your hands, do this. And then they've got this model that they can use again for background, you know, like extension of scene extension and, and 
augmenting crowds. And that is as a producer and as someone, again, as I mentioned, I look for these like economy of scale tools that I can use mainly because I'm working in a smaller budgets environment, but independent film is the same thing. But the point is, once you give those scans away, you you don't have them anymore. I mean, you can go and, and license it again, but somebody's got your 3D model and who knows where that's going to show up. So it's paramount. That Anybody we- see the first Black Mirror of this last season? Yeah. We, we laugh at it like, ha, ha, ha. And then we start talking, oh, crap, that is real. And actors, background actors, do n- never walk in a trailer and say, yes, they need to talk to your agent. <laughs> they need to pay you. I don't care if you get fired. Do not give your likeness away. Let's talk about some of the programs that you guys are using that R&D filmmakers can use right now. Well, there's a lot of wonderful tools out there, and they're they're often disconnected. So we might use one tool for one specific thing and then bring that piece of content, whether it's a still that then we now are happy with from Midjourney or from Dolly, and then we'll bring that into another tool to expand it, to animate it. Um, one of my favorite tools is Runway, and that's a, a suite of tools, actually. Uh, Runway ML, I think, is the website. Um, and they've got a, a second-generation video tool, which isn't amazing, but you can start... Well, video one generative tool where you could go text to video. You could create, you know, describe a scene, and then it'll it'll show you a video. Um, a very short one, very inaccurate one. Gen 2 that just released in the last like month or so, or maybe a couple months, is a lot more um, interesting and accurate. You can get four to five second clips out of it, string those together. So you can start in ChatGPT, ask it for you know ideas, create a narrative, create characters, create bits and pieces. Again, using it as a co-pilot for your creativity. You've got a story you want to articulate. You can feed it in and then ask it to help you prompt mid-journey or help you uh, get more you know specificity around that. Bring it into mid-journey, create, a, create that image, um, and I'm, I know this, we're running over a bunch of tools here and there's a lot of, but you can look up on YouTube and watch someone much more succinct than me explain how to do mid journey and how to get yourself started and discord, et cetera. But stringing these together is what we do. So again, ChatGPT to then mid journey to now take it to runway, create some video, string those together. And then there are lots of AI tools I could go on, but creating music for you on the spot, um, the best though is Adobe Premiere, and I think everybody's got that uh, at this point. You know, you could sign up for the beta tool and get access to all of Adobe's beta programs, which gives you the Photoshop generative AI plugins. I guess that's what you know. So you can literally in a in a in an image draw a square around the top of a mountain and then type in "add a lighthouse." That's I think one of their examples. Of- wow. It gives you three or four options. You can select, nope, don't like that one. Don't. Oh, that's the one. And it blends it in. It puts it into perspective. It's amazing. Premiere Pro, of course, is video. So it's stills over time. Now you're talking about animating. And so you would use the same kind of function in, in After Effects where it's relying on the generative. It creates an image, you know, puts puts the object in the image. And then Adobe After Effects kind of tracks it and expands it. So it's amazing to do that in a tool that we're already so familiar with. Like that's the best part about AI. It's everyone's working in Evernote has AI now and it cleans up your notes, right? So um, having Premiere or whatever suite you are subscribed to, DaVinci, if it's that for color and also now editing, then there's AI tools that are plugging in, you know, to that as well. So 
um, it applies no matter what kind of garden of software you may be subscribed to or your company may be subscribed to. Jason, you use Premiere. Is that what you were going to mention when you said that helps speed up your editing? Well, yeah, I use Premiere. Um, for instance, I used it the other day along with ChatGPT. Um, for instance, I was editing a testimony, uh, you know, a talking head interview where we sat with someone and it was like, you know, 30 minutes of footage of this person talking and we asked them questions and, you know, then we had to edit that down to about two minutes. So how do you, sometimes you're, you know, how do you take a 30 minute person talking, create a story, create, you know, not have him repeating himself and all that stuff. So what I do is I, I took the video, the 30 minutes, create a transcript of it digitally so that I have it all in text. And then I copy that, paste that into chat GPT, tell it, hey, take this guy's talking, make it two minutes long and create wow. a story. And what it does is it edits it, it um, in like 10 seconds. And it doesn't always, uh, it's sometimes you got to make sure that it knows to only use the words they're using, you know, you don't want to to change what he's saying. But even if it does, it's giving me a framework. I can now see, okay, now instead of all this footage, I, I got a, this much. Uh, so then do you I, then have to go in and edit that based on the new script? Yeah. Yeah. Then I go into Premiere and I, for this case, I, it wouldn't do it for me. I would go into Premiere, but at least I have, you know, a, a, a two minute script that I can go in and find the footage that they chose mm -hmm. and and uh, and edit it based on that. And it, I feel like it's not far behind that you're gonna have the help of like it's gonna edit that down for you. Well, it does actually. I mean, in a different way. And I wanted to give Jason props for a great use of ChatGPT to compress to create the narrative that's two minutes long. That's the hardest part, honestly, for the editor is how do we compress this information, choose the right beats. But what you can do is similar. But a different approach, right, is you take that video, it's in Premiere. Premiere automatically generates now in the beta um, AI plugin version of Premiere, Premiere Beta, it's called. Um, and you can download it, it's free if you have Premiere. Um, it will transcribe the video for you. So take that 30-minute webinar, it transcribes it for you. Now you can kind of paper edit, delete words, it'll delete that. You can delete a whole paragraph, it'll delete that whole clip out of the video. So it's making the edits for your on your timeline um, as you are just copy editing the story on the left in a in a in a word you know word document kind of and it's time coded. Um, you click on that sentence, it jumps you right to that spot in the playhead. So while I love Jason's approach of getting that framework or even having the literal words that it can match up to um, and then make those cuts, I like that approach too. But this is another one that's at the ready. And if you don't have Premiere, by the way, there's a tool called, um, I think it's uh, Pictory that does this similarly for, for free, right? It's free right now, but you can upload, it'll transcribe, and then you paper edit, so to speak, you know, with, you just delete, and then you get the clips. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, that's a big time saving for somebody who's doing a lot of work. That plus yeah. tip on how to approach and I agree with Mark. I, I I also am aware of the of the text to edit, which is yeah. been kind of new lately. I would love to be able to take the Chat GPT, what they spit out, and just copy paste it in there, and it does all That's edits. It's not it's not quite there yet. But what I like about Chat GPT is it's like a person where you can kind of coach it along and tell it what to do. So, for instance, if I have a thirty minute video and my producer is saying, 
yeah, but we really like the part where he talks about this. This is important to our business. The other stuff is good, but it's we need it to stress that. You could tell Chat GPT also focus on what you know, what you want, what part of the story you want him to talk about, and then it'll still do it, but it'll make sure that it's not going to edit that part out. You know, it's gonna ha- it's gonna focus on that stuff. So uh, it's right. it's a, it's a time saver for sure. I mean, you could spend hours, days trying to create a story from a thirty minute thing. You know. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up this. This is an important question that Scott is bringing up. And I think, Evan, this you might be able to answer this because you are really dealing with a lot of this. But uh, what will prevent tech companies from later filing lawsuits that they did half the creative work? So they want half of what we were paid. He says, who owns the elephant in the room? You guys have thoughts on that? So this is a big hot button issue about, um, you know, rights, ownership, tech companies, licensing things that are that they don't own the data for. And there's some big, big, big lawsuits going on that we don't have to comment on right now. I think that's really going to be where it makes out in the courts. I think they're going to just, the courts are going to have to decide how it's, how it's, um, how it's decided. And I think our job is really to how do we track it? Right. It's it's more important to track the data than to be like we're we're not about, you know, telling an actor that you should charge X dollars for every time your your likeness is used, but we're trying to be the, the company to help them say, well, this is what it was used, with the wire is used, and that the studio should buy in too, but they can avoid, you know, any lawsuits back and forth between agencies or unions. And so the deal for us is like it doesn't matter. But we don't want to get involved in the, the money side of it. We just want to get involved in how we create tools to help people. And I think the truth matter is that it's, it, you can't take a picture of me and then put me on the side of a, of a building without my permission or, or paying me. And I think that's a, the, sa- the same thing of, of data. And so the question really comes down, how do you track the data? And I think that's going to be the big question for the next decade is how do we track our data we already deal with right now with our personal data online with with social media and things like that being sold to advertisers and so this is sort of a continuation of that larger idea as a proponent of web3 engagements consumer engagements customer visitor viewers that are wrapped around a project building a community as you're building a product at the same time um, and again, my advertising agency, Sageworks, we work with some game studios to bring those tools to the market or these games to market. And I, as I also mentioned, advertising being my background and emerging media being something that I focused on before AI really was even that clear to me. I mean, we understood what, what large models could do, but I had no idea we would have this chat interface experience in the near, in the near, in this term. Um, but back then blockchain was really what I was most excited about and what we found when we applied it to licensing inside an agency or a holding company environment where you've got multiple clients licensing multiple songs. I'll talk about music specifically, but it's the same idea, I think, eventually with with identity and likeness. Um, but the old way of tracking songs was literally listening to the airwaves and tracking down what songs were played and then you know reporting that back to the guild and then the guild would then issue out residuals and royalty checks to those. And so that's a very manual process, but 
blockchain can be embedded in the object itself, meaning in the digital object, the digital song, digital image, as we now know about NFTs, et cetera, um, where it's a singular you know, uh, signature that we now know when it shows up on the internet, meaning it's played anywhere or it's viewed anywhere um, in theory, that we would then have, we'd have the ability to track that and track what engagements happened with that you know, signature in, embedded inside the image or inside the song. We saved our company a lot of money. In fact, went back to one of our clients and gave them the residuals that, that weren't being tracked back to them because they weren't in that business. They were making commercials, not licensing songs. But anyway, the business is, is so large. That's millions of dollars. Now that was blockchain five years ago before NFTs were created, you know, um, so now I think we have this challenge as, as Evan was just describing, and as we're talking about likenesses and how are we going to track it? I mean, this is where I get really excited about web three from six months, a year ago. That's now like taboo to talk about AI is the thing. AI needs web three AI needs blockchain in order to protect the individual, protect the ownership and, and track it as it's being pushed out into the world, as it's being turned into new, new objects, new images, new songs. Um, you know, it's, this is a fascinating field because it's exponentially impacting us in every business, not just the ones that we're talking about. So all that to say, now when I license photos, when I license songs, I think about those individual creators and what they put into that song or that image. And now this is the fee that I'm paying to be able to use it temporarily or however long, et cetera. We should be able to apply that to everything that we're doing. And it should be tracked so that not only the companies get their dollars back that they invested to license, but the artists who made that stuff, the maybe the image, the likeness that's in the image itself gets remunerated, gets a gets a small royalty that again at magnitude, at scale, can be tremendous. I mean, that, that again, that's why SAG, AFTRA, WGA, all the, frankly, all the unions are probably, if this doesn't get, you know, solved soon, I'm sure as contracts are coming up, they're going to join as well in some fashion, because this is a monumental time for us to maybe not get blockchain embedded. Like I was just describing, that's, that's where we should probably go. That's party of one saying that, what do I know? But definitely like Evan said, tracking and, and being fair and getting that stuff back. If I could squeeze in a tiny one more thing, Adobe Beta, what they've said their their generative tool is designed on, it's been trained on their own stock data. So they're one of the only companies I know, and this is important for advertisers, or if you want to make sure you know what that image is coming from, they make a disclaimer, rest assured that anything you generate from us has been trained on our own data that we own, images that they've owned and licensed, et cetera. So they can they can be sure that you won't be sued or they won't, you know, you're not liable for what's potentially created by this AI that they provide you. As an agency representing brands, we have to know where the licensing attributes to so we can protect them and ourselves. And filmmakers, we need to do the same thing as filmmakers too. I have a very basic question for you guys. As someone who is currently in the middle of purchasing a green screen studio, is green screen dead? Do we even need it anymore? Not dead, not dead. We use uh, our our studios have. There's different different studios. Some have green 360. Some don't need it because they use uh, depth sensors. Look, green screen, uh, just a tool, right? Volumetric video is a tool. High speed 
you know, Phantom is a tool. You're not going to shoot a Phantom for a TikTok video, or maybe you will. And that's pretty cool. You can do that. But, you know, green screen's a tool. Uh, will there be depth map removals without green screen? You know, Lytra camera style thing would in the future? Of course. Of course it will be. Will it be perfect? Will it be like your phone where it picks up the guitar behind you sometimes? Yeah. Like with all tech, new technology, it's not exactly perfect. Sometimes it gets to a point where it takes something away. But generally speaking, especially at large scales, you're going to be using green screen, especially on location. Uh, you're just wanting to mask out things. It's just easier to throw a green screen up. It is one of the cheapest pieces of gear to rent um, and kind of figure things out later, which is, I think, the problem with it. But if you use it uh, correctly, it's a tool and everything, all tools should be used. A really scary thought, and I know like, you know, my husband is an actor, that's his whole bread and butter, to think that someone could take his image and just do whatever they want with it. I don't even like the idea of licensing your image because I license my image to Pepsi. And it's like, well, you think, well, Pepsi is trustworthy. They'll do whatever they want. You know, like it won't be, it won't be anything bad. I won't look bad. You don't know that, first of all. Secondly, is there, I think there has to be a way to license it to the individual, not to an agency, if that makes sense. Where it's like, you don't own my likeness. You're just borrowing it for this one thing we've agreed upon. You can't just use it indefinitely however you want if that. I don't, I mean, we don't, obviously we're on this call. We have, none of us have control over what the contracts happen and what it says, but I know there's a lot of fear right now and actors are some of the most scared. Like they literally feel like they're going to be replaced in 10 years. And I am like, look, you're going to have to really convince me that I'm ever going to watch a movie and believe that AI character is, has the same human emotion as a real character. Cause I barely can sit through animation. Right. So I don't think they'll be replaced. Um, writers, I could definitely see why they're scared because chat GPT is one hell of a writer. It's scary, even though it's plagiarizing and everything. And uh, directors didn't even put anything, the DJ didn't even put any AI protections in that I know of. Like, what uh, yeah. where does that go? What happens? How do you see, do, are directors replaceable with this? Like some some like you said, some kid in his computer just puts the movie together using AI. Like, how does it work? Where do we go? I guess my, my whole thing is like, how do we help the people who are really scared right now feel better? Feel like, look, you're going to be okay and here's why. Do you guys have anything like that to share? I do think that it's not there. Like, I think we, there's a, there's this, this, and we should be scared. Like, you, we need to build real guardrails here because like, you know, by the time the next contract comes around, it's going to, it's going to be a very different world. Right. But if, you know, Right now, everything that's video generated video is very short clips, and like there, it, it can't be super complex. And there, there's a lot of kind of like limitations until next month. And it's been, it's been a lot of hype. And I think that, that the real studios are not really using it yet. They're all kind of trying it out and ch- testing it out, but it's a big change for them to change their entire you know technical pipelines to do all this anyway. Uh, the VF- VFX companies are like playing with it but are kind of afraid because they kind of they don't want to change what they already know but at the same time we do need to be cautious of this because even you guys right here like i would love the conversation you talk about editing because it did did seem like it just it got to your assembly much faster and then you can kind of work from there as opposed to just like that one to two days it's just like 
lighting things up and, and slogging through it. Well, you make a great point. I mean, and I think it's this, that's an opportunity. This is an opportunity for the independents, you know, the independent agents, creators, uh, you know, content shops like we have, the independent filmmakers, because the high end shops and the big brands, again, for the reasons we've mentioned, either they're nervous about what could come of it or it's, you know, it's in that gray zone. Um, that's an opportunity for any creator who wants to express themselves and to take advantage of these tools that are available right now. In fact, I think that, you know, and they're free at first, they're not always free and they won't always be free. So take advantage of it now. That's what I would say right now as a point of encouragement. And then to, to support that, I would say create creativity will always win out. And that's why the human, you know, provided that we're not talking about the AI taking over nuclear arms right now. We're talking about the creative space and being replaced in films. Oh, great. Let's put the scarier right. thing on the yes. table. And I know. Let's put, that's <laughs> but that's what they're talking about when they say the sky is falling because of AI. And that's why those people, even though even the open AI chat GPT creators supposedly signed this, you know, bill, not a bill, but a, a letter that said we need regulations because they're talking about that picture, not, you know, how do we keep from, because a good actor is going to get seen, you know, that's the, well, there'll be less roles for sure. There'll be less opportunity for background actors to be, to be one of 150 actors on a scene where they're this big in the background anyway, not diminishing that. I'm just saying like, that's an easy application for crowd scene extension. That's been happening for years in commercials and films. Um, so that's not new and that's not because of, it is AI, but it's, that's because AI has been around for a little while. But what's, what's expedient is we're now realizing we can apply those things to a lot of different things. And the creators who take advantage of this, and I'm mixing some different applications together to make this one point. Like if you take advantage of it, we'll find the right way to, before we get blocked out of the game, which is why I didn't sign that letter about slow down AI, because it's, it's. BS to think that anyone, including Elon Musk, will pause while we come up with regulations. We need to come up with regulations and guidelines, period. And the world is not going to wait for that. It just won't. China's going to go, this country's going to go, that country's going to go forward. And then who's going to be left behind? No one's going to pause. That's just how I personally feel. It's the wrong way to approach it from a place of fear. It's you approach it by embracing it, understanding it, writing the regulation. I actually do write a lot of contracts for influencers, for people, because I'm that middle person in an advertising content flow. Um, we have that opportunity to write that my language that my attorneys haven't seen yet, because I'm at the front line. They're going, they're looking at me saying, hey, what's appropriate here? Because we don't really understand how this gets applied. I do, because my hands are in it. And two, I can at least now bridge to, here's a possible solution. Here's how we can protect ourselves Here's how we're protecting the people we're hiring. This kind of conversation, like kudos to you for bringing this up. It's so much more fun to talk about all the tools, but this is the heart of this right here. That and, and it's now. It's not in two years because the world will not pause. The studios will not pause. They're not pausing. <laughs> Even right now, while they're not supposed to be working, they're not pausing. You know, So it's now. People need to realize that and support the actors and support the directors right now because they're they're on their they're, it's like the first battlefield right but it's going to hit across every industry in some way or shape where that productivity gains are going to be wanted to be realized and expanded and scaled by the top 
And that's going to affect a lot of us who are quote unquote, you know, on the ground, let's say working bottom up, you know, we're, we're the workers. So we've got to get in this, understand it and support those who are creating. Jason, all the time you do the tech when you, when you're playing all these new things, do they ever go here, you own all, you own what you make. Is there anything that did you ever check box or are you checking the box that says we have the rights to use anything you've made? Like, well, when you sign up for the actual, you know, use to the software, it's all pretty much speculated in the, uh, not speculated, it's all put into the terms of agreement. And and pretty much right now, there is no, I don't see any type of like ro- uh, royalties or any type of legal protections for any of these images. I mean, they're all free to use for us to use what, you know, whatever, any way we want, even commercially. <clears throat> um now they do make some money if they if you pay for a plan like ten dollars a month, twenty dollars a month. So that those AI generators are making money. Now what they're doing with the money that I pay them every month, I don't think they're spreading it out to 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 Randall and all their you know. buying in, Nvidia chips so they can expand the business. It's one thing if we're using it for like what Jason and I've been working on, which is like a pitch deck. That's one thing because who cares? We're not making money off that, mm-hmm. but. But say we go use some of these images in our film, can they come back and say we want a percent of the profits of that film because you used what you made with our software? Are there protections for us? And maybe this is an entertainment lawyer question, and possibly they don't even know the answers yet because it's all kind of new. I mean, I'm sure I think everyone knows the answer. I don't think anyone knows the answer. But I mean, I, I think the, the first question is really like, you know, at what point it's like a typewriter is slower than a computer. And so, you know, if you were typing a paper and then you messed up, you have to start back over. The truth is, is like AI is, is, is another piece of technology that makes us work faster. So from like the, the artist perspective, like this is a tool that artists should be able to use to work faster and spend more time being creative versus starting over and doing it again. And at the end of the day, the question, though, that you're asking is generative, we're meaning using an image or a voice or maybe language that was written by somebody else in a commercial piece that makes someone money. Does that money flow have to flow back to the to the AI licensor in order to pay the licensee? Uh, that's the question. Is and I think we would love to. I'm a. I'm a graphic designer. I'm a motion designer. I use a lot of stock images from like iStock and, you know, um, you sign up for uh, plans and you pay the fee and that gives you the rights. I don't, I don't see how, um, unless it's specified in the, in the terms of agreement, how they could come back and say, well, you know, you used our stuff. So you, and you made this much money as a profit on your film. You, you want, we want a percentage. I don't see how legally they can get away with that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one aspect is how can they prove that it's their image? That's the first thing. Like, right. does, does it track? And for how long does that stay around? What image was generated? You know, and it will vary. The answer to that no doubt varies from platform to platform. Like Runway, I mentioned, may or may not. You know, Adobe, they have their own claims about how they trained and where these images are being generated off of and from. But they don't talk about, well, yeah, those are commercially available to use because that's their whole business. Um, so I would imagine that one is fair, but then who knows? You're absolutely right. In fact, I'm going to my entertainment attorney and I'm going to find out, you know, at least the, the uh, platforms that I'm using, we're making a film, a short film now that we want to 
just as an experiment, but it's quite good, I think. And we're, we want to turn it into a feature if we can, again, as an experiment, but I bet it'll come out pretty damn good. So do we have to pay somebody later? You know, that's a great question. Um, well, it's funny. We have, I think next Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, we have the Ask a Lawyer um, where everybody can come and ask questions. I'm literally going to add that. And I'm going to ask Chris on air, like, about this and see what he comes back with. Real quick about the whole license thing. I do know that there are commercial licenses because we, 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 we license commercial license and then there are educational licenses. Mm. So if you're not making money on your project, you can use MIT's data set licenses. There's a bunch of, you know, learning data sets out there that anyone can use. Um, you have to look at where they come from and, and for sure, if it's a commercial license, just like Jason said, like Adobe stock or anything like that, you know, you look at the terms it says for, you know, personal projects or commercial projects for feature films or usually different prices based on what we purchase. And I think that's essentially going to be the model. I think. And it's also, it's also really iffy because I, I, we've had a panel with a MIFA supervisor who does big stuff. And she was like, do not use those libraries for music, because even though it says you can use for commercial stuff, that is not necessarily true. And you could get in a lot of trouble. So you got to really do your due diligence, I guess. Yeah, um, because they layer an, one library will buy another library and so forth. And they may not actually have any longer the license to that original source, but they're giving you perpetuity because that's their business model. You don't just read the boilerplate that they post, although we do photocopy that and put it in our documentation because even that will change. Like you'll come back a year later and a whole section that used to be there is gone. They have that, you know, prerogative to update. So she's right or he's right, your music supervisor. Uh, I mean, look, you, everything has some risk or, or a lot of risk or a little risk. And you learn that as you work with attorneys, you know, they're really there to tell you how much and to kind of quantify that because- if you didn't take any chances, you just wouldn't move, you know? And if we are in this creator space, um, now again, I told you at the top, I'm the optimist here. I'm thinking about embracing all these tools for my own benefit, for my client's benefit. That's what I do. That's my, but it's, uh, and it's super important, as you heard me say too, to protect all of this, but you got to get in there because it's going so fast and you don't have to do it all. You don't have to learn all the pick one application, you know, jump into Premiere and plug in the beta or go to some of the, you know, or, or check out Evan's tool and, and his uh, services and, you know, but, but go for something to get your feet wet. You get a taste, you get an understanding. And then these other questions will be easier to approach than just net new, you know, entirely old because it's scary otherwise. Yeah. I, I, th I think you, there could be issues definitely if you're making stuff, even if they say, it's great for commercial use, but if you're going to put a celebrity, for instance, you know, in it, like I know Mid, Mid Journey, where I talked earlier about how advanced it gets, it has gotten in a year. Now you could say, you could pick a celebrity, Paul Rudd or whatever, mm -hmm. and say, uh, Paul Rudd eating a pizza, wearing a spaceman costume, you know, whatever, and it will just make them. And there he is. And can I use that commercially because it has Paul Rudd in it? I don't know. But then, you could take that image and like you said, bring it into runway and say, okay, now convert this to a video. Well, runway's not necessarily making the original Paul Rudd video Paul Rudd right. picture, but they are right. taking that picture and converting it into a video. So, you know, yeah, yep. what happens? Fellow producers killed 
member summer says you have to believe that just as hard as actors and creators are working to be paid the other side is lawyers working to quail our forward motion um and this is hilarious i'm hoping to see an ai studio executive tool in the near future so we can anticipate studio <laughs> notes i've heard some funny comments that chat gpt wasn't so much going to replace the worker but actually the ceo for decision making and oh. slow decision making like gpt's quick man it can it can Think of the matrix while it's deciding to. I'll give you a chat GPT uh, tip. It's not just for me. It's from, uh, you know, other bloggers that I've read. Uh, if you tell chat GPT what it is before you ask the question, it helps. So for instance, you could say, you are a uh, music executive. You are a film executive. Uh, you are a resume writer. You are a professional I didn't know that. That's great. Uh, Roll this. Do this. Inference. It will think differently. It will think like that person. You could say, "You are my mother." How would you answer this question? And 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 then it would answer it like your mom. Tell it what you want, who you want it to be, and then say, "Ask me a question." I have a movie. Paste in the script. You are a studio executive. Ask me questions as a studio executive, based on this. That's an amazing way to use this. And directors who are watching this, yo, your meetings. Before you go to your meetings, what a great way to prep. Uh, and then you could you could answer the question and it will say, that's a good answer or not so great or whatever. And it'll tell you. And then you could even then ask it, well, how would you make my answer? How would you answer it? How should I have answered it better? And it will give you, based on kind of what you said, but a, a better way to present yourself. Uh, yep. uh, so on a uh, quick side note, studio executives who might be watching this, I would never do that, <laughs> just to be clear. It's bringing the ability for us to create environments, not just buy from a Unity marketplace, a game engine environment that looks phenomenal. Okay, let's shoot our commercial there and use that as our sort of you know dynamic backplates, put the actors in front. Um, we can now change those environments, not just custom uh, geometry and, and, and 3D, but but AI using AI tools to generate them. And then text corrections, you know, I want more stars, more trees, more this. And again, generative AI, creating it in this giant backgrounds, which is which takes a long time, but you're in real time where the actors are standing in front of the screen right now, ready to shoot. That's that's another uh, acceleration in, in what we do. Uh, it's very exciting in the virtual production space how AI will help offset those what are right now very high costs. I mean, to have all those people and to take that much time to create environments before you shoot, that's really the key. It's like bringing yeah. post-production forward, you know, uh, that simplifies that. And so for, again, indies and commercials that have smaller budgets, this is where these are the tools that are going to help us break through. Mark, I totally agree. In the virtual production space, I think it's going to be a game changer because right now the VAT departments are huge and the, it takes weeks to, to prep a job. And then suddenly the client comes in and they're like, I wish the sky was now purple. And you're like sending it off to the team and they're doing it. They're updating it and these huge files take it. Everyone's sitting there kind of on their phones waiting for lunch and then the lunch comes and goes and you see it and they're like, you know what? To change it. And it, like AI is just going to be like, we got to just turn it around right now. And it's just not, it's not currently built for, you know, it's currently built to be free within a space you build, but adding that space and changing that space in real time is still difficult and slow. And you know, one more amazing thing about that moment you were just describing where we're 
changing the sky or moving the sun in real time with the clients, that's a moment where the DP, the DP standing there, the director and the and locations, as they sometimes still call them, but those are the engineers who are creating the environments and the client, they're all having a, a creative collaborative moment versus here's what the client said, take two weeks, generate that, share it. We don't get to go to the meeting. We hear that the client likes it, but they're, you know, it's disproportionately kind of stretched out. Whereas like that's creativity happening as well as we're creating the moment, we're like deciding in real time. So we are definitely out of time. This has been a lot of info. You guys have really squeezed in a lot. Um, I appreciate your time. Uh, those of you who are watching, I encourage you to come back next Thursday. We'll ask a lawyer some of these AI questions that are still pending. Um, and then the following week, I believe, is the in-camera effects slash virtual production. And we're going to talk about how you as indie filmmakers can afford to do some of the more expensive stuff. Um, thank you guys so much for all of your brains on this call. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Working Director Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review as it helps others find the show and helps us keep making great content for you. And if you want even more help with your directing career, check out theworkingdirector.pro, where you can apply to be part of the accelerator that hones in on where you currently are and helps you get to where you want to be. Whether it's this podcast, the accelerator, or our free Facebook community for directors, we're here to help you get to work.